0: Activating the talent of your employees. The beloved movie that you just didn't get. And why it might be time for you to level up and start playing bigger at work. That's all coming up right now on Boss Better Now.
1: You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and Gryffindor, Joe Mall.
0: Hello, boss heroes. I commend you on once again finding just a few minutes in our chaotic existence to refill your boss cup with us. Take a deep breath, clear your mind, and let's get it going. Please welcome my co-host, professional coach, Alyssa Mullet.
1: Did I say that right? Because now I'm questioning myself. Gryffindor? I know that's Harry Potter. Okay. But I'm, again... I, I always question myself whenever it comes to anything, you know, Disney and or whatever. I don't. Yeah, that they made that right?
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> they have no. Like, okay. Oh, we have so much work to do. No, they did <laughs> not. No, Disney did not make Harry Potter.
1: <laughs> okay, well, but they have a world, right? Like, no, I know that. Oh, well, where the heck is <laughs> Harry Potter World at? I thought
0: it's I in Universal. It's in so the same city, I don't know. right? Same, oh. so same city, Orlando. But, uh, oh, oh, I have so much to teach you. Goodness. I <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have enjoyed the movies of, of Harry Potter. Um, and my kid has a few Lego sets that he really likes of the whole Harry Potter schematic things with the train. He has the Hogwarts train and everything. But, uh, again, I, I'm just kind of, eh, take it or leave it. With so you've everything. not read the books and, no goodness, no.
0: no. Did I yeah. ever tell you that I read the books because I wanted to be able to dismiss them? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had.
1: With what, like as as, as stupid, not magical enough as like a kid's
0: book? And why are adults clamoring oh. over these? I, I was, I, I was working at Ohio University and was just starting grad school, and there were a couple of folks on the staff, on, on my colleagues. The fourth Harry Potter book was just coming out, and they were just obsessed. And I remember thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. This is a kid's book. Why <laughs> okay. are these adults dressing up and lining up at bookstores? This is ridiculous. And so I was I was trying to be worldly and I thought it's not appropriate to dismiss something. Like you can't say, oh, that's a terrible movie if you've never seen the movie, right? Gotcha. Okay. And so i I went and I bought the first book and I read it. Oh man, it was phenomenal. <laughs> and you
1: liked it. <laughs> and
0: and I've been a big Harry Potter fan ever since, and my kids love Harry Potter, and um, not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but uh, my oldest child, my daughter, her name is Lily. And one of the reasons we like that name, uh, that is Harry Potter's mother's name, and she uh, is the symbol of love throughout the whole oh series of books. And so that's one of the reasons that we named our daughter Lily.
1: Good grief. See, like, I... Whenever you say things like that, then I'm like, I am missing out and because like I would, I watched all the movies. I, I don't have any semblance of that deep of ness that mm-hmm. you would tie to it. You know, his mom, I don't even remember his mother's name. And, and now that you're talking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's really beautiful. I'll, you know, how meaningful is that?
0: Well, I tell folks all the time, it, it is a kid's book, but they grow up with the kids. And so the, the first three stories are, are pretty uh, adolescent, for lack of a better term. But then they get a little darker and more sophisticated as they go up. And uh, the, the movies are great, but the books are better. So if you're ever just looking for something to kind of easily dive into on a weekend or a plane trip, grab the first Harry Potter, give it a chance, and and maybe you'll be surprised.
1: I'll take your word for it.
0: <laughs> not not going on the list anytime soon, huh? <laughs>
1: I got That's plenty right. of books in my stack okay. and in my rotation. <laughs> I'm good. Well, our,
0: our topic for today uh, is activating talent and um, why employees getting to use their talent and gifts at work is so important. Uh, and in particular, the, the ways in which bosses uh, can activate talent. And this really is tied to the conversation we had in our last episode, Alyssa, where we talked about the conditions that we need to create in order for people to thrive. And one of them that is critically important that we really didn't get into in the last episode was aligning people's talents, strengths, skills, and gifts to the job that they're in. We know that when people in the workplace get to use their talents and strengths at least three hours a day. Not only is their engagement through the through the roof, but their overall health and well being is better. Right when there's alignment between what I'm good at and and what energizes me, and and how I spend my time during the workday, uh, we reap all sorts of gifts out of that. Uh, how can bosses do a better job? At activating the unique talents and strengths and gifts of the people in their charge in the workplace?
1: Well, that's a million dollar question, right? But I think that the entirety of just looking at that as something to begin with is where to start, right? Um, Because I feel like in society in general, we, are prone to look at our deficits, our weaknesses, right? And so m- the performance evaluation systems that I've always encountered in the workplace are <laughs> counterintuitive to playing to someone's strengths. You're focusing on what people need to improve and and, and there's not really a true recognition or a true opportunity to hone in on someone's strengths and talents. So I feel like being able to acknowledge that we traditionally have not had systems in which Mm -hmm. we are acknowledging and playing to people's strengths um, is the first step um, to activating an actual plan to then do so, right?
0: I am so glad you brought up performance reviews because the, the very construct of how we do performance management all year long with employees is sort of the opposite of what it should be, right? Let's spend all of our effort and energy attacking your weaknesses. Let's let's see if we could put forth a tremendous amount of effort to elevate you from not good enough in these areas to average
1: overall, right? Exactly. Overall, instead of maybe
0: saying, hey, look, there are like three or four things that are just uh, perfect for you and that you're amazing at and that are clearly your sweet spot. So rather than spending considerable time and effort making you average to, to get you to average in a handful of things, maybe I can tweak your role in such a way that 80% of your time is spent doing the handful of things that you're really good at. And and now there are some folks who will hear that and who will interpret that as, well then people should never have to do anything at work that they don't like or that they're not good at good at. And of course that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about proportionality in terms of the of the work. Have you ever had the opportunity to do that for someone as a leader, Orlyssa, or have you ever been in a position where you got to play to your own strengths in the majority of your work time?
1: I think um, after I um, took my coursework at Duquesne uh, for coaching, um, that's when I started to recognize this because there is a, a, a textbook that... Um, we go over in that course and I have it still up on my bookshelf up here. It's called Play to Your Strengths, right? <laughs> right. Um, and that kind of changed my perception and my understanding of what the heck am I doing like for myself and for my team? You know, I it is the continual focus of that negative, the, you know, what you're not doing, what what you could be better at that we continually nitpick in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I did have the opportunity um, to start incorporating um, after that knowledge, some actual ways in which I felt like I could better serve Mm -hmm. and it served me and my purpose, connected me to a deeper purpose uh, for my work there. And I hope I think that that's my ultimate wish as a leader is that people saw me trying to do that for them, Mm. trying to help them grow and be the very best version of themselves authentically um, in every capacity. Not, you know, not just like, oh, this bit of your your life, you're you're doing fine at, but then you gotta like work on this. I I really hope that people thought I genuinely cared about their purpose mm. and their reason for showing up to work
0: because it's tied to what they're good at, right? Because they'll right. feel fulfilled when they get to act Meeting. on yeah. right the things that that are are naturally the right fit for them. In and amongst some of what you just said, uh, I I heard. What, what are probably three things that leaders need to do? And and we're getting ready to launch our Boss Better Leadership Academy here at Jomal and Associates. And so we're going to be... It is. It's exciting. And we're going to be putting out a, a whole rich deck of content for uh, folks all year long who are subscribers to the program. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about early on is the importance of aligning talent to role. And uh, th- there are three things, I think, that leaders need to be constantly doing for the People that they supervise, uh, inquire, notice, and deploy. Those are going to be my my three pieces of advice to our listeners. So the first is is inquire. We need to be constantly talking to our employees and asking, inquiring. What do you like about your work? What really energizes you? What what's the stuff you really enjoy doing? What do you feel like you're really good at? Like every job I ever had. Uh, I ended up being good at making things pretty on the computer. Whether it was designing a brochure or making a sign, I just had a knack for it. And I I it was never a part of my job description, but I ended up doing it everywhere and I liked doing that sort of thing and it was because of the of the second step which was people noticed. You know, as supervisors, we need to have dialogue, we need to ask about strengths and what energizes us and what people are good at, but we need to notice it too. And so we need to be as much as possible in the trenches with people, and keeping an eye on where they seem to really shine. And and when we notice it, we need to be explicit that we've noticed it. We need to to Mm -hmm. say that we've noticed it. Hey, I noticed that you were really good at X. And and there's a very good likelihood that every single—most of the people who are listening to this podcast, who are leaders in one way or another, probably landed in the position because somebody noticed that they would potentially be good at it. Hmm. Somebody maybe pulled them aside and said, hey, have you ever thought about applying for a management position? And so somebody noticed a, an affinity or a talent or some some gifts. Uh, and then the third thing is deploy. Once you notice a talent or once you have a dialogue about it, how can you deploy that person to use that talent more often at work? So if you have somebody who's really great at diffusing angry customers on the phone Asking them to, to do a little primer walkthrough uh, of how to do that well with other people on the team is a way to activate their talent. Have them lead a meeting on the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, asking people, okay, you said you really like making things pretty on the computer, Joe, and yeah, you definitely have a knack for that. Um, we've got some projects coming up. Would you like to be on one of the committees? You know, that's a way to activate talent. So having that dialogue, asking those questions, noticing those things, and deploying people to use that talent is, is the, the sort of the tactical way to do it from the perspective of being a great boss.
1: I love everything you just said because it so thoroughly aligns with some of the internal coaching processes that I try to develop in clients, which so when you inquire, you're getting curious, you're asking Mm -hmm. questions, right? And so to cry, we're trying to create that self curiosity. Oh, what's that about? You know? Oh, you know, wonder why I feel that way or whatever it might be. Right. The noticing Mm -hmm. is absolutely noticing and then the key thing for me is um, that plays into this whole to your strengths is the ability to notice without negative judgment, right? Of others and of yourself in the internal coaching process. So then, then deploying is you know the action how how yeah. all this internal process how it flows out of you, right? So this it, those are really astute. Uh, tactical strategies that leaders can use to help their teams in a real, tangible way.
0: And I think we have to remember that there's kind of a, this sounds really ominous and it's not meant to, but there's a dark side to not getting to use your talent at work, right? Mm. If you are doing work that um, requires no thought, no effort, no time that doesn't fit with your gifts, we get bored, we get complacent. Yep. You know, I remember for years, uh, you and I worked together at a large healthcare system, a large academic healthcare system. Uh, we won't name them, let's just call them The Mothership. We worked for years at The Mothership, um, which uh, uh, still have a lot, a lot, a lot of friends there, uh, and mm-hmm. they, they do a lot of, of incredible work. And By working at a very large and, and prominent in the community health center. I don't know if you had this experience a lot, but I did. People would say to me all the time, hey, I'm going to apply at (sighs) the mothership. Mm -hmm. And I'm applying for this front desk position. And now I would have this conversation with people who had master's degrees and 10 years of experience, and this position was paying $12 an hour. And they were so clearly overqualified. And I would say, well, why are you applying for that position? And they would say, I just want to get my foot in the door." door. I mean, yes, the number of times I heard that phrase and I would have to have an uncomfortable conversation, which is I'm not going to go to my employer and recommend you for a job that you've already said you're going to leave as fast as possible Mm -hmm. and that you are overqualified for because you're going to be bored and bored. People do a couple of damaging things, right? They look for problems that don't exist. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't bond themselves to the team especially if you've got you've got one foot in the door there but you've got one foot out the door to the next opportunity that you're scanning the job openings for right mm-hmm. so when when we have people in the right roles when people are in the right fit both in terms of where they want to be professionally in their career and with their talent that we be, we become so engaged with the work that we don't have time to get caught up in all that other bs that that could potentially distract us. Did you did you ever have that experience the whole foot in the door conversation?
1: Oh, I well, you know, I started my career at that said place as a recruiter. And oh, one right. of the ways in which we, you know, scanned through applications and resumes, one of the, you know, rejection codes is overqualified. So, absolutely. Like, you know, apply for what plays to your strengths and know that that's the kind of position and organization that you want to say yes to because they are looking to your strengths to make them stronger. Yes. Ultimately
0: yes and, and and let's make sure we don't bury the headline here though for for our boss heroes that are listening um, this is not a conversation about rejecting people who don't come to you with strengths this is about looking at the people who are there right now yes. and saying what are your gifts what are your strengths and how do I position you to use those more often in in your day-to-day work. Um, you mentioned uh, Play to Your Strengths, the book. Yeah. Uh, there's another great resource out there. A lot of folks are probably familiar with it. It's the StrengthsFinders book. It's Clifton's mm-hmm. StrengthsFinders. We'll, we'll link to both of these books on the podcast web page in the episode transcript if you want to go looking for them. Um, but in Finders, they move people through a process to evaluate what some of their innate strengths are. And there's a great story that I, th- I think it's from that book. I may be crediting this incorrectly, but I think I encountered it in, in Clifton Strengths Finders. Uh, and it's a story that's attributed to Mark Twain about a man who dies and goes to heaven. And he meets St. Peter at the pearly gates. And he starts asking St. Peter all the things that he wanted answers to when he was alive on earth. And at one point, he says to St. Peter, I was a, a big student of military history. Tell me, St. Peter, who was the greatest general who ever lived? And St. Peter says, oh, that's easy. He's standing right over there. And our guy looks, and then he says, well, hold on, St. Peter. That can't be right, for I knew that man when I was alive on earth, and he was but a common day laborer. And St. Peter responds by saying, yes, that's right. And he would have been the greatest general who ever lived if he had been a general. Hmm. We have folks— who have strengths that we're not using. We have folks who are in the wrong roles. Mm. We have folks who have the potential to be great, but nobody has asked or, or noticed yet. And I think that's a huge piece of what we have to do as bosses.
1: Wow, that's a beautiful story. I've, I haven't heard that. It also reminds me that of all the times in which we have the opportunity to ensure that we are playing to people's strengths is after everyone's workplace, physically, most probably, but definitely in terms of the dynamic of your workplace has shifted, changed, morphed, modified a thousand times over in the last year, year and a half. Now's the time to come back because... Their folks have changed. And so we need to meet them where they're at. Maybe their strengths have morphed, changed. Maybe what they're passionate about needs to be realigned and can be better serving the organization, better serving them. Yeah. Now's the time. Well
0: said. And that's a perfect bow on that conversation. So listeners, how are you activating talent? What conversations are you having? What actions are you taking? Or, or what questions or activities are you using to notice talent and connect it with the work? We'd love for you to tell us about that. You can email the show at bossbetternow at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the podcast Facebook page. Or if you're streaming this episode online, well, then just pop a comment in the box below. We read those all the time. And that brings us to what is everyone's favorite segment, the camaraderie question of the week. And I don't say everyone lightly, I just mean that most of the time when we get an email or a a comment on social media, people go out of their way to say, I love the camaraderie question of the week. And we hear that you're using these in your huddles and with your teams and we're thrilled by that because we know that bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. So use these questions at meetings and at huddles to facilitate connection and to build camaraderie. And so our question this week, Alyssa, is this. Name a movie that everyone else seemed to love, but that you just didn't. What do you got for me?
1: (laughs) A big, fat, old nothing. Um, (laughs) And not because I'm going to say, oh, I'm an introvert, you know, I'm, I'm doing a pass thing on that. It's not that, it's... It's legit. I, I'm not really much of a movie person, mm-hmm. and I know you are. And again, this you know takes me down about thirty rungs. I have no rungs left on your ladder of of <laughs> how I have plenty I of rungs, my friend, in this world. <laughs> but um, honestly, like movies in general, feel like so much of the distant past that I can't mm. really, I, I i have no recollection of even the last movie I saw in the theater. I have some, I mean, we've obviously streamed some things, you know, I've watched Trolls a couple of times, Sonic the Hedgehog a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> but i would not say that like i all of the hype you know because that's like a you know my movies for my seven-year-old so the only thing that stands out in my brain as one time i went to the theater and we saw this was when i was just my husband and i the last airbender okay and i I remember walking out of there, because I remember also it was like an extraordinarily long movie, (laughs) walking out of there going like, they should have paid me to sit through (laughs) that. But I don't remember that there was actually any hype around that either. So I could have just been like, you shouldn't have seen that movie. That was really stupid (laughs) for you to see that movie, period.
0: Well, I think it's totally okay that if you're not a big movie person and that nothing pops into mind for you with this question I think for our our leaders listening y- you know you have carte blanche to change this you could say name a TV show that everyone loves but you didn't get or name a, oh, yeah. an, a a musician or an artist or a band or a you know something like that um, you can play with this a little bit depending on what you know about your team Um but uh, when we got would, out of you with was... Game
1: of Thrones on the whole TV program oh, okay. thing like everybody was like all up about that and I'm like
0: eh. okay nah. how much how much of it did you watch
1: I got through maybe like the first two episodes okay. <laughs> That's all, right. all I gave it
0: That's okay. Hey, that's all right. And and having watched it and yeah. enjoyed it, uh, it 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 is a commitment and there's a lot going on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea and I I get that. So my answer to this question, yes. Um, I, I, and I tried to think about what is a movie that I always hear getting a lot of love and that every time I hear it getting love, I kind of go, yeah, I, I didn't get it. And the hmm. movie that popped into my head is Love Actually. Are you familiar oh, with the movie?
1: I am. Yes. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Have you seen it?
1: Yeah, I have okay. seen that.
0: So it, it it shows a lot of Christmas time. It is considered a Christmas movie. We don't oh. have to have the Die esque debate. It is a, it is a, a Christmas movie, Christmas time movie. For those who are listening who haven't seen it, there's all of these different uh, stories about love and relationships that seem disconnected and they all kind of intersect at the end. Um, and the movie is probably most famously known for the scene at the end where the guy shows up at the girl's door and with the signs and, he's, and it's all about like, hey, don't say anything, but I've loved you forever and this whole sort of thing. And no. <laughs> I... <laughs> First of all, <laughs> no. that's your best friend's wife. This oh, was a bad choice. You're right. yes. You know, you're you know in in movie world that's romance, but in the real world that is drama, and that is yeah. uh, uh, don't get me started. But when I watched, I've watched the movie. I, I did. I sat down. It's like the Harry Potter thing. I did, couldn't dismiss it without watching it. So I sat down to watch it, and. uh there was just too much pain and tragedy before the couple of good feelings, and so every time I, it, it comes on at the holidays, and I see people posting online, "Oh, it's my favorite movie," and I'm like, "Nope, I don't get it." I have one or two people who I'm very good friends with that are gonna um, maybe not want to be friends with me anymore after saying that. But <laughs> for me, the answer is Love Actually.
1: So is it? It's based upon the output of feel good emotion does not equal. The input that you have of all the negative emotion of the bad things that happen in it.
0: I mean, I, maybe that's generally true for me. It's not always. I have no problem. I I like things that make me feel things. Boy, that's really clear and profound, isn't it? But <laughs> I like
1: to feel.
0: I, I do. I have a great appreciation for. If I sit down and I watch a movie and it and I it sparks emotion whatever that emotion is i have an appreciation for it that that somebody created a piece of art that could create that kind of response in somebody just sitting on their couch and watching it whether it's sadness whether it's empathy whether it's thrills or horror you know anything that can kind of activate your insides i have an appreciation for that maybe in this movie it's because you have to wade through so much pain and tragedy for many of the characters just to get this tiny little payoff at the end that feels contrived and that's mm. so so i don't mind the pain and tragedy i don't always want to go there and i but i don't mind it if the payoff is worth it and maybe that's it for me is that i didn't think it was hmm
1: you know it's so interesting i i won't keep harping on this but the my husband and i just had this conversation recently about music about how his connection and uh, the emotion that he can connect with through music. Mm. And um, I've had that that kind of conversation of late with some other people about how, how they connect to emotion. Right. And for me, that's, I think that's why I don't engage. I don't engage. I don't allow myself um, to get emotional through music, through movies, things of that nature. I use those things as a distraction from all the feeling that is going on all the freaking time in me.
0: I get that. I do. Yep. And very much over the course of the pandemic, I found myself only reaching for certain kinds of movies like action movies or fantasy, you know, the superhero Marvel stuff, the escapist popcorn stuff, because I'm a kind of a news junkie and a politics junkie and I watch a lot of that. And it's been so heavy for so long that by the time I got to, you know, my wife and I get two hours, it's but by the time we get the kids to sleep we get maybe 2 hours to sit on the couch together and watch something and and we want to unplug. Yep. And so, yeah, reach, reaching for stuff that is not as emotionally taxing. I think a lot of people can relate to that especially over the course of the past year. Yeah. And that's the camaraderie question of the week. Hey, boss heroes, check it out. One of the phone calls I get most often is the, we have one person here who really needs help phone call. The leader on the line tells me about an abrasive executive, a manager not meeting the needs of his or her team, or two physicians who can't overcome conflict. Their question is always the same. Do you have any training I could provide for this person? I have to tell them the uncomfortable truth. Theirs is a problem that training won't fix. The problems these leaders describe require a different solution, coaching. A professional coach helps people explore new ways of thinking and operating while examining the root causes of their own behavior. When someone needs to examine their approach, adjust their style, become more adaptable, clarify goals, or navigate conflict, there's only one coach I recommend, our own Alyssa Mullett. Alyssa is a professional and executive coach who works one-on-one with clients to tackle the issues that live behind closed doors. Experienced, credentialed, and revered by her clients, Alyssa can help you or any leader struggling on your team design a path to achievement and professional success. I've sent Alyssa to clients all over the country, and they rave about her every time, every single time. So if you have that one leader who is struggling, or that one leader is you, I strongly encourage you to invest in coaching. For more information on working with Alyssa or to get a quote, visit joemull.com forward slash coaching. All right, Alyssa, we're going to wrap up the podcast today with a question. And I think it's a question that our boss heroes can play with uh, for a little while and should revisit from time to time when they look at their workplaces and their work environments. And that question is this. Are you settling for what you have, or are you working toward what could be? I've been thinking a lot lately about how hard it is at times for bosses to level up. Hmm. Because I think that for many leaders, the nature of the work prevents them from even giving it consideration. Um, I've shared this story with folks before that when I wrote my first book and was interviewing leaders all over the country, I kept hearing the same turn of phrase. I would say, as a boss, what's your job? And the phrase I heard back the most was, I put fires out every day. Mm. And I think a lot of leaders really can relate to that idea. That I get up in the morning and I go to work and I'm just trying to get through the day and and answer people's questions and, and keep people focused and on track. Um, and that, The the nature of working in that way, I think, really prevents us from leveling up. Another way to think about it is playing bigger. Mm. I think that we we sometimes owe it to leaders to remind them that their life gets easier when they start playing bigger. And so the question that I want to throw out to those who are listening today is, are you settling for the team you have? Or are you doing what it takes to build the team you need, to to build the team that your organization needs, that your your clients, your customers need? Mm -hmm. You can even swap out that word team with the word culture. Are you settling for the culture that you have, or are you doing what it takes to build the culture that you need? And I, I don't know how often, Alyssa, you would be able to pause and think through those kinds of really big questions of leadership uh, when you were leading a team. Um, But if if a leader's job is to create the conditions for people to thrive, I would also argue the leader's job then is to be constantly aspiring to not just what we have, but to what is possible.
1: Mm. So when I hear you, you say those words, I actually took it to like <laughs> the way up here level. <laughs> I went into the ushy squishy gray again, <laughs> Joe. Um, and it, because it reminds me of something that I really um, identified with in Glennon Doyle's book Untamed. And her inquiry goes like this. What is the truest, most beautiful story that you can imagine telling of yourself? I love it. And so, when we think about ourselves as leaders, as humans, as all of the things, what is the truest, most beautiful story that we want to be able to tell? And is that What you're doing right now, any component of what comes to your brain, your heart, your soul, are you doing any of that right now? And are you okay with not doing that? What are you sacrificing to not
0: do that what what does it cost to you that's a, a, yeah. a beautiful way of framing it i don't know if our listeners heard the police siren in the background it was such Star. a perfect no it's okay that's a perfect <laughs> uh perfect way of framing it that it was criminal the cops are coming to- <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, look at you! See stand up comedy we should have been
0: <laughs> thing. but awesome. but if we ask our boss heroes to ask themselves the same question, right? what is if I think about my team or my workplace, what is the most perfect, beautiful? I'm sorry, I may be butchering the the question as you asked it a moment ago. what is the most beautiful story that I can imagine for my workplace, for my team and and then you can slide right into sort of a, a traditional like. Lean Six Sigma analysis conversation where you're like, current state? future state. And if you call mm-hmm. the future state the, the beautiful place, and then you, you identify your current state, then you can do the in-between, which is what are the obstacles? What are the yeah. things that are preventing me from getting to the future state, the beautiful state? And now we get to the work that leaders have to embrace, not to just put fires out every day, but to make their environment better, to, to um, not settle for uh, team members who maybe are just good enough but, you know, that's one of the questions I ask leaders all the time. Is there one person at your team who is standing in your way of, of getting, of your organization getting where it wants to go? Or, or, and I think folks on the podcast have heard me ask this question more than once. When I have folks who contact me about team drama and conflict and difficulty, I'll say, is there one person on your team or maybe two who, if they went away and never came back, most of these problems would be solved? And the answer is always yes. And so... <laughs> I just want to end today by encouraging our listeners to periodically stop and say, am I playing big enough? Is what we do here worthy of the effort I am putting into it at the level that I'm putting into it, not to just get through the day, but to aspire to what could be possible, even though it might be really hard to get there. As a leader, where and how do I need to play bigger because we have farther to go and a greater level of potential to meet? Well, folks, let me ask you a small favor. Would you take a moment sometime today to either review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or... Post on LinkedIn or Facebook, encouraging others to check out our show. This is a small way you can contribute to our movement to fill workplaces with better bosses. On behalf of my fantabulous co host, Alyssa Mullet, until next time, boss heroes, thank you for listening and thank you for all that you do to care for so many.
1: This show is sponsored by Joe Moll and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.